Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Well, good morning, everybody. I believe I have a word of God for people this morning. I really believe that. And we're continuing our series in the letters of John. And this morning, I'd like to talk about fear. And some of you remember the No Fear brand. And No Fear doesn't mean... I'm not doing that. No fear. It means that in Christ we have no fear. And um, I want to talk about what fear is and how we can overcome fear. And I don't want to give you loads and loads of scriptures this morning, of which there's 350 of them, which make it slightly longer than notices. But I want to try and give you some practical strategies of how to overcome fear. So if you've got Bibles, let's turn to... I'm going to read three scriptures from John, three short passages from 1 John. uh, And I'm going to start at 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love doesn't know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us. And then if we go down to 1 John 4.18, such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. And then if we go down to 1 John 5 verse 1. Anyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And anyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can... Who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Yonki Cho is the pastor and founder of what's considered to be the world's biggest church. At the last count, there were 830,000 members. And he said this, he said, Everyone thinks they know what love is but it is widely understood. But we know what love isn't. Love isn't a sentimental feeling. If we don't experience it, we won't feel it or know that we're loved. It isn't selfish, it doesn't seek its own way. Most of humanity spend their lives getting their own way and their lives are centered around themselves. Love isn't, if you love me, you'll let me. That's manipulation. But love is a commitment. Love is demonstration in in action. The singer-songwriter Don Francisco said, love is not a feeling, it's an act of your will. And God doesn't sit up in heaven looking down on us now and says, 
Well, they're so lost. They've got no hope. They've got no future. But I love them. There was a demonstration. There was a demonstration because the Bible says that God so loved the world. In John 3.16, and I'm going to read it. We all know it, but I'm going to read it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. He so loved. He so loved. You can measure anything these days. I was reading a magazine earlier in the month, and apparently they can measure the distance between the earth and the moon within millimetres, within millimetres. And so to say that the the moon is 252,800 miles away is totally inaccurate because they can measure it within millimetres. And apparently the the moon is spiralling away from the earth at a distance of 3.8 centimetres a year. So in my lifetime, the moon has moved away two metres from me. That's incredible. But you can't measure the love of God. So the writer used the word so. Because it's so much. He loved us so much. He did something about our state. He loved us. And it says that whoever, we used to sing a song years ago, and it used to say, whosoever meaneth me. Whosoever meaneth me. And so whoever you are, God loves you. He gave everything he had and he took away all of our sin and all of our punishment. When I was a young man seeking God, I believed that God used to have a little black book. And on this little black book, it said Stephen John Russell. And in this little black book, he used to write down all the things that I had done wrong. And even worse, if I did something good, he would cross off one of the wrong things. It's a great theology. But when I got saved, I read this scripture, and it's in Colossians 2, and it says, you were dead because of your sins, and because of your sinful nature had not yet been cut away, but then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave our sins, he cancelled the record of charges against you, and took it away by nailing it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. And I remember, and I don't want to be offensive, but I just had this vision of this book and Jesus was holding it and the nail went through the book and through his hand. Because that's what it means. Jesus became, he became my record of sin and he took it away. And if you really want to know what love is, take a long look at Calvary. Take a long look at Calvary. Michael Card said this, he said, why did they use nails? Because his love would have held him there. His love would have held him there. That love took away your sin, my sin. And if you want to really know what a definition of love is today, love is Jesus. It's that simple. It's that profound. Jesus is the answer. So what has God done in providing this love for us? And this is by way of introduction because if we understand the love of God, if we really understand what God has done for us, then it sets us free from fear. It really does. God's reconciled us to himself. We know that in Romans it says that God showed his great love for us 
Because while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He bridged the gap. It was the ultimate demonstration of love. He bought us back with a price and he made total provision for us to get right with God. You know, many things have priority in our lives, but the greatest priority is to be right with God. To be right with God. Because Jesus has bridged the gap between us and God. And our relationship to the cross in our lives is our response to God's love. Our relationship to the cross in our lives is our response to God's love. But all our sin caused Jesus to be nailed to the cross. It doesn't matter how badly you think you sinned. Jesus forgives us. That's incredible. When we come to repentance and faith. And so I want to make this statement this morning. When I start, when I start in abbreviated commas, or move towards an understanding of what God has done for me, it helps me look at fear in a totally different way. And I say that because I'm not there yet. But it's it's a process. When I start to move towards an understanding of what God has done for me, it helps me look at fear in a totally different way. Fear is the most controlling influence in our lives. If we look in Luke 21, 26, don't turn there, but it says in the New Living Translation, it says, people will be terrified at what they see coming upon the earth, for the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And in, in the same uh, verse, in the message, it says this, it says, it seems like all hell has broken loose. Sun, moon, stars, earth and sea, all in an uproar, and everyone all over the world in a panic. The wind knocked out of them by the threat of doom, the powers that be quaking. And you only have to turn the news on today, or this morning, and listen to what's going on, and you think, oh. Fear is a feeling induced by a perceived danger or threat which causes a change in our metabolic and organ functions and ultimately a change in our behaviour. Fear is is an anticipation or expectation of a future threat perceived as a risk to the body or life. But more importantly and more seriously, fear keeps us from getting what we want to become deep down honestly, what we really want to be, and more importantly, what God wants us to become. Gary Bussey, the actor, said this. Um, He was an action-type hero, and he he came to know Christ. And he said, fear is the dark room where the devil develops all of his negatives. Fear is the dark room where the devil develops all of his negatives. And it doesn't matter how many times people say to you, oh, it'll be all right, it'll be fine, don't worry about it. That does not help because fear is relative to every individual. Some people say that speaking in, that they'd rather die than speak in public. I would rather speak in public than read the notices, but uh, <laughs> I was so blessed this morning when I knew Phil was going to do the notices. I really was. I have to confess that. But some people are more fearful of speaking in public than dying. And I, I listened to a few people at work the other week, and these are the, this is a list of the things that people in the world, I think, are most fearful of. Not having enough money for the future. 
pollution, global warming and climate change, economic and financial collapse, extinction of plant and animal species, terrorist attack, identity theft and credit card fraud, people I love becoming seriously ill and dying, war and nuclear weapons attack, being hit by a drunk driver, being unemployed, losing my data photos and other important documents, random mass shootings, break-ins and theft of property, becoming seriously ill. It's a great list, isn't it? And on a more personal note, we could have fears about broken friendships and relationships, unemployment, the security of our positions, financial markets affecting our day-to-day -day life, money, the future, what does it hold? Our children, will they grow up in God, following a godly path, meeting godly spouses and having godly biblical relationships? Our health, will we live in health? Or will we, will we be resigned to long-term illnesses or family-inherited illnesses? These are all real fears. But in 1 John 4.8 it says, Such love has no fear, because perfect love expels all fear. J.B. Phillips, Letters to Young Churches, puts it like this. He said, For we realise that our life in this world is actually his life lived in us. Love contains no fear. Indeed, fully developed love expels every particle of fear. For fear always contains some of the torture of feeling guilty. This means that the man who lives in fear has not yet had his love fully perfected. So what is this perfect love that dispels all fear? And I looked at the word fear in the concordance and there's 350 references to the word fear. But if we're not, if we don't know, the, if, we, if we're concerned about our love with God and we've got fears on this side, it causes an insecurity in our lives, a lack of knowing that God actually loves us. It causes an uncertainty, an anxiety about oneself, a lack of confidence. But when you know that God loves you, you're secure. But let me just say again, when I start to move towards an understanding that God, what God has done for me, it helps me look at fear in a totally different way. 1 John 4.12 says, No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression. And we want the love of God to be a full expression within us. We want to be totally secure in knowing that God loves us. We live in an insecure world, but God is secure. And there's no fear in God's love, because God's love drives out all fear, because fear... And God's love and God's power cannot exist in the same space. We have to put our trust in God in everything. And in Romans 8.31 it says, Nothing can separate us from God's love. Julian read this last week. What should we say about such wonderful things? For if God is for us, who can be against us? Whatever it is, it bows to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The greatest thing that anyone can say is this. I know that God loves me. I know that God loves me. Not me saying it to you now. Not reading it in the Bible, although that is good. Not hearing or singing a nice song. To actually personally know yourself that God loves me. 
That is total security. However, we have fears. And we know that the we know from scripture that the love of God and knowing God dispels fears. But you say, well, that's impossible. How can you truly know God today, right now? How can you know him right now in such a magnificent way that you know you're almost raptured? <laughs> and all fears taken away. Well, that may be true. But the answer to that question is, is that we need to be those that pursue God. We need to be those that pursue God. And I want to give some, some quite practical examples of what the pursuit of God means. In 1 John 5, which we read, it says, Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win the battle against the world? Only those that believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And the writer is saying there that there's something, it says to me there, there's something about taking on all that God is. And the first thing I want to look at is, it's time for us as a church to immerse ourselves in God. It's time as a church that we immerse ourselves in God, in all that God is doing. We talk about baptism, and we've all been baptised. If we're saved, it's a command of God that we be baptised. And the word baptism in the Greek, baptizo, means to totally immerse, to submerge, to plunge, to dip. It's the same word that's used in the Greek when you dye a piece of fabric. And another rendering of the word is to totally overwhelm. And you take the cloth, you push it in the dye, you swirl it around a bit, and you can't hold the cloth by the sleeve or the collar. You've got to totally put it in. Because otherwise, when it comes out, the garment is useless. It's no good having a blue shirt with a white arm. And um, when we're baptised, <coughs> we talk about being buried in Christ and rising out. The old life has gone, the new life has come. And the old garment is gone. It's a new colour. And God wants everything in our lives to be coloured by him. He wants it to be coloured by him. He wants everything in our lives to be immersed in him. To be totally overwhelmed by him. Another way of looking at this is I have three boxes here. And one of the things that I'm very guilty of is that I compartmentalise my life. And I have, this, I have this box first, and this is called my church life. And everything in this box is to do with church. So I have my uh, ministry, my Bible reading, my prayer, life group, Sunday mornings. I keep it all in that little box there. And then I have another little box, and this is called my family life box. And in my family life box, I have my marriage, my children, my leisure time, my uh, jobs I need to do on the house. 
I don't know what that is. But I have lots of things in my family life. And then I have another little box, and it's called my work life. And if you're a homemaker, then it's your homemaker life. And this is my most secret box. Because there's things going on in this box that nobody knows about. They're not bad things, but you all see, you, a lot of you see these things that go on in these two boxes, but this is my most secret life. And this is my work box, or my employ box, or my retired box. All the things that you don't do in these two boxes. And this could be, you know, travel, um, meetings in the office, um, filling out my expenses, all sorts of things like that. And these are my three compartments. Now, Phil, a few months ago, spoke about Venn diagrams. I knew what Venn diagrams were, but I didn't know what they were called. So, <laughs> and there are certain things that overlap here. So when I delve into my church life box, I've got gifts of the Holy Spirit here. So... I ought to throw a couple of those in my marriage, and I ought to have a few at work. And um, then I've got uh, how I uh, apply the word of God to things. <sighs> I need to blow that off because it's a bit dusty. So I have to put a few in my marriage and a, a few in my work things. And um, then I've got sort of my timekeeping here in work. Hmm... Well, I'm not sure whether I can put some in. I'll put some in. I'll try and put some in work, but probably not in my family. And you can see that we compartmentalise things. But what God wants us to do is this: He wants us to put all our family life in there. He wants us to put all our work life in there. He wants us to not call it our family life. but to call it God. And then he wants us to seal it up. And everything in our life is God. Everything in our life is God. Everything is affected by our relationship with Christ. That we don't have a work box or a family box, but everything that we do is about Jesus and about God. That we don't compartmentalise. God wants to be the top priority in our lives. He wants us to have a God box that everything is affected by him so that our families, our marriages, our home maintenance, our relaxation times, our, our work in every way is influenced by God. It's overwhelmed by God. It's coloured by God. Another example is when I was younger... It's a long time ago. If you was an elder and you was not supported by the church uh, and you had a secular job, you was known as a part-time elder. Now, everybody laughs when you say that. And I look back and I used to laugh. But let me assure you that Phil and I are not part-time. We are not part-time. Because God is calling every believer to be full-time. We need to be full-time all the time. It's not just about being a leader. And that, that for me is a constant challenge, to be full-time all the time, to be able to just be on the button every time. You know, and sometimes the situations in these two boxes and they sort of creep out and they drop into that box. 
And then all of a sudden there's a problem and I have to put it back in the box. And we need to be very cautious of that to make sure that everything is in the box with God. At the end of John, 1 John, it says, in, literally at the very last verse in 1 John 5, it says, Dear children, keep away from anything that will take God's place in your heart. And are there things that are taking place, taking God's place in our hearts this morning? Have we set priorities ahead of God? Our work, our family time, our interests, our hobbies, our pursuits, even our finances. Are we immersed Are we non-compartmentalised? Are we in one box? Are we full-time for God? Will came a few weeks ago and he talked about the early church being devoted. And don't turn to it, but I was just from the Holman. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship of breaking bread and to prayer. And every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex, breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and humble attitude. You see, when we devote ourselves to God, we starve our fears to death. Can you see what I'm trying to say here? When we give everything to the Lord and we make him the total focus in everything in our lives, we start to starve our fears to death. And when I get fearful about things, and I do, I ask myself this question, how immersed are you at the moment, Stephen? I do honestly ask myself that. I feel a fear rising up about the certain things, Mandy knows what they are, that will push my buttons. And when I feel feel them rising up, I ask myself, am I immersed? Am I all in one box? Am I totally coloured with God? And the answer is usually no. But when I get back to that place, when I start to move to an understanding of that position, I can feel those fears go. Very good. And we need to be very practical about this. You know, it can be very practical to start with. Do we meet every opportunity? Do we, are we always here on a Sunday? Are we always together at prayer meetings? Uh, Are there other things that must be done? Do we share all we have? And when I say that, I don't mean material things. I mean, do we give to the body? Do we share a word? Do we share what we've read in the word? Or are there other things that need to be considered? Do we give financially all we can and are commanded to? Or are there other things that we feel we must support and be indulged in? In 1 John 4, 11, it says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression. God wants us to live in the experience of full expression of his love, because then fears are starved, and they've gone away. I just want to read this from the message. Um, it's in John 4:18, and it says, "God is love. When, when we take up permanent residence in a life of love, we live in God's love, and God lives in us. This way, love has the run of the house, because, because 
It becomes at home and maturing us. And so we're free. We're free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one who's not yet fully formed in love. There is no room in love for fear. Well-formed love banishes fear. And I believe that God wants us to have well-formed love in our lives. He wants us to pursue him. He wants us to have everything in one box, to be totally immersed, to be full-time. I read a scripture the other day and about I was preparing for this word and I read this scripture, I felt God led me to this scripture and I said to God, I said, I can't share that. <laughs> but, you know, because I'm obedient, I will. And it's in Hebrews 13 and it says this, it says, so we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that comes from their lives and follow their example of faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. The message puts it like this. It says, appreciate your pastoral leaders who gave you the word of God. Take a good look at the way they live and their faithfulness instruct you, as well as their truthfulness. There should be a consistency that runs through all of us. For Jesus doesn't change. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, he's always totally himself. Now, I don't want that to sound elitist. But I believe that everybody in this room has some sort of pastoral responsibility. Whether you're a mother or a father, a brother or sister a life group leader, a worship leader, anybody who serves, anyone who reports to you at work, you have a sphere of influence. And I believe that we can help one another by setting an example. I believe we can help one another to pursue God by setting an example. You see, we all face various sorts of trials as we go along with our journey with God. But God is totally in the centre, yes. whatever the situation is. Yeah. And often we quote that scripture, don't we, when we're fearful about the peace of God that exceeds, surpasses, goes beyond, passeth all understanding when worried. But let's just read that because it's one of those scriptures that has a condition with it. And we often read the nice bit. There's a lot of scriptures that we totally misquote because we read the nice bit, but we don't read the condition. And then when it doesn't happen, we say, well, God, you've not answered my prayer. But there's a condition to it. So in Philippians 4, 6, it says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank him for all he's done. And then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You've got to live in Christ Jesus. Then it goes on to say, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. And nobody ever reads this bit. 
Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you've learned and received from me, everything you've heard from me and seen me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. Everything you've heard from me and seen me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. And I believe this morning that we need to set an example for everybody. Because when we pursue God, it draws other people to us. It does. You know, you want your children to be worshippers. Worship God with all your heart. You want your children to follow the word. Talk about it continually. You want your children to marry godly spouses. Be a godly spouse. You want the office to stop swearing. Don't swear then. They'll soon notice. You want folk to serve. Be a server. Do it with all joy. You want folk to ask you about your faith. Be joyful in everything. Because everything you've heard and seen me doing, and then the God of peace will be with you. You often hear parents saying to their children, do as I say, do as I say. But my challenge this morning is do as I do. Do as I do. We all should be setting an example. You know, I've got a list of names here and I'm going to read them out. And you won't know, most, some of you, Benj will know these people, but Jack and Beryl Seeger, Stefan and Diana Ruig, Stuart and Mary Elliott, David and Ruth Collins, Roy and Marjorie Dean. Now, they weren't leaders. They weren't elders. But they influenced my life by the way they raised their children, by the way they handled their finances, by the way they served in the body, by the way they dealt with disappointments, by the way they worshipped and contributed in the gathering. They had an effect on my life, a massive effect. And... um, because I, could see, I, I saw what they were doing and I decided to follow them. And God this morning is calling us to pursue him. We need to pursue him. We need to go for it, folks. We need to lay aside every weight and we need to start pushing towards God because God wants to change our lives and change this world. And by doing it ourselves, we're calling other men Unto, our, unto us to say look look how we're going this is our life this is how we're going and people look at our lives and go I want to be like that yeah. in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Is he your light, your strength, your song, your cornerstone, your solid ground on which you stand? You know, it's a great song that is, but it is a little bit... I don't want to get into heresy, but it is a little bit like scripture because it starts off by saying what he is... And then it goes on to say, if you follow that, then this comes as well. There is a condition. When Phil does uh, rock solid, he has this little phrase and he says, this is a stop and check moment. And uh, I think it's a stop and check moment this morning. 
And the question this morning is, am I pursuing God with all my strength, all my power, and all my might? Am I pursuing God? The children of Israel were told this, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. And are we doing that? It's a tough one. But I just believe for myself that I'm moving towards an understanding of the love of God and God is going to perfect the fullness of his love in my life. And I'm not there yet, but I am going forwards. I'm pursuing God and I would love you to pursue God with me. God wants us to live lives that are free from fear. And it is attainable when we pursue him. I'll be honest, I have wobbles on the way. There are certain things that I am totally freed of, I am free from fear on. But there are other things that I know press me. But as I press into him, those things become strangely dim. When David met Goliath, he didn't talk about how dangerous Goliath was. He talked about how great God is. He talked about how great God is. He didn't talk about his fear. He talked about how great God is. God's love is so amazing. It's so amazing. It's so divine. And it demands my soul, my strength, my life, my all. And so this morning, I'm not going to give an appeal. But what I would like to say is... If you want to pursue God, and if you feel that there are things that are pressing you, Phil and Sharon, Mandy and myself, Benjamin, and Kim, Julian and Kate would love to spend some time with you and show you some great strategies in how to pursue God. Because when we pursue him, fear is dispelled. Fear is dispelled. And It's the heart of the leadership of this church to not see people carrying huge burdens, huge fears, things that rise up at a moment's notice and crush them. Because God doesn't want us to be maintenance Christians. He wants us to be Christians who are moving on, seeing people saved, seeing people baptised, filled with the Holy Ghost and moving in great power and anointing. Amen. So I just want to leave this thought with you this morning. Am I pursuing God with all my strength, all my power and all my might? Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.